Our gospel text then is from Matthew chapter 4, uh, verses 1 to 11. Uh, Listen to this, the story of Jesus' temptation. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took Jesus to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only the Lord. Then the devil left him. And suddenly angels came and waited upon Jesus. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. In one of his books, Henry Nouwen talks about his fascination with a troupe of artists, trapeze artists, called the Flying Rodleys. He watched their act several times and even went back to talk to them. It was especially amazing to him to watch the person they call the flyer swinging through the air high above the heads of the crowd especially in that moment when he has to let go and arc out into the air alone. One day, Nowen asked the main flyer, how does that happen? What is it like? Mr. Rodley explained, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me and grab me out of the air. How does that work, Nowen asked. The secret, Rodley says it, that the flyer does nothing. The catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I simply have to stretch out my arms and wait for him to catch me and pull me to safety. A flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. Nowen tells his readers, remember that you are beloved children of God. God will be there when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab 
God will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and your hands and trust, trust, trust. What a great way to explain our dependence on God, the essence of trust and the power of God's grace that will never let us go. Both of our scripture readings today give us a picture of different responses to that trust. These stories are holy myth, meant to tell a deeper truth than a literal reading of every detail. The story of Adam and Eve was first part of an oral tradition of the people of the Hebrews um, long before anyone actually wrote down words in Genesis. And so the story would have been told around crackling campfires under the stars or maybe at the dinner table as people thought about who they were and who God is and why things are the way they are. You know the story too, even most children do. Before young people start to understand symbolism and metaphor, they struggle with stories like this one. A middle school Sunday class, Sunday school class, once invited me to come for a questions for the pastor session, which was quite interesting. But my favorite question, which was asked in a serious and half skeptical way was, what came first, Adam and Eve or the dinosaurs? They were already beginning to suspect that while some of the Bible contains history, other parts are written to help explain something that only story or poetry or the music of the Psalms can reveal. The word Eden means abundance or fullness. You would think Adam and Eve would stay happy there. However, while God gives them all sorts of freedom to enjoy their lives in Edom, it is freedom with limits. And it seems that human beings have a tendency to see boundaries or limits as challenges. Just don't eat from this one tree. Well, of course, Adam and Eve can't stop thinking about that one tree and why God would forbid it. It's kind of like telling you to picture any kind of animal in your mind right now, except for a zebra. <laughs> Which animal do you think is going to keep running through your thoughts? The serpent in the story is crafty, trying to get Eve to believe that there is something God is neglecting to tell her, that she will be like God if she eats from that tree. He's trying to undermine her trust in God, and she falls for it. Eden provided all that Adam and Eve ever needed, but they wanted more. They figure that if eating from the tree can somehow make them like God, they can be in control of their own destiny, and that sounds very empowering. We have a hard time with limits, too. Being told that there is something we can't do, that we can go this far but no further, just makes us that much more determined to break through the boundary. Think about the child who just has to try touching that stove you just told her was hot. Think about the teenager who is determined to do the exact opposite of any advice or wisdom that you share. As people of faith, we might say that God is in control of our lives, but we don't often act like we really believe that. You and I tend to operate from a self-centered rather than a God-centered mindset. 
whatever is the most convenient for us, whatever works best for us, is more of our focus than what God might want us to do. We want to shape God in our image instead of the other way around. Right after Adam and Eve each bite into that juicy apple or whatever kind of fruit it was, what happens? They suddenly realize they are naked. They are ashamed and sew fig leaves together to cover themselves. At this point in the story, I have to imagine that those ancient Israelites sitting around the campfires hearing this story begin to giggle. Fig leaves are scratchy things and I assume would make you walk funny and sit down very carefully. Why were they ashamed? Because they ate the fruit and disobeyed? Because they made excuses? Eve made me do it. Well, the serpent made me do it. No, I think the shame was that as soon as they knew good and evil, they realized how vulnerable they were. They realized that they had lost trust in God. And then instead of feeling close to the Creator, they were afraid. Afraid to admit the reality of what they had done. And then instead of feeling close to their Creator, they went the other way. Afraid to admit the reality of it or to face God with the truth, even though God would know the truth anyway. A little later in the story, past today's reading, there's a comical image of God walking in the garden and Adam and Eve literally trying to hide. God, who feels sorry for their seeming need for scratchy fig leaves, has compassion and sews them something nicer and more comfortable. God the tailor, who knew? We recognize ourselves even in this silliness. We all stand naked before God all the time. God who sees everything we say or do. God who knows everything we think or feel. And yet there are still ways that we try to hide. Unwilling to give up our need for control. Refusing to be vulnerable. Making excuses for ourselves and to ourselves saying only formal wish list prayers instead of ever just listening for the rustle of the Spirit. One of my friends from high school, Janine, graduated from college with a degree in acting and immediately headed to Los Angeles. While she isn't a household name, over the years she has had significant and memorable parts in many movies and miniseries and even popular sitcoms. Her last role was at the end of a movie about a workaholic woman named Allie, who is a television, pro television producer. She visits her hometown, meets up with her ex-boyfriend, and starts questioning everything about the person she has become in the cutthroat world of Hollywood. The person she has known herself to be with others does not match up to the person she knows is still somewhere in her heart. Janine's character is interviewed by Allie in one of the last scenes. Three years older than me and without a bit of makeup on for the camera, Janine talks about the freedom she has found in accepting herself. She talks about how uncomfortable she used to be in her own skin, how she both literally and figuratively didn't want to see anyone or for anyone to see her. She said, I was pretending all the time. I just didn't know how to be. 
After a lifelong struggle, she has finally learned to accept who she is without pretense or excuse. While the film wasn't about our relationship to God, there is a connection here. None of us can be completely comfortable with ourselves until we take off our fig leaves and stand before God just as we are. When we develop an honest, open relationship with God, we allow ourselves to be completely vulnerable. That propels the relationship to a more honest place and makes room for growth in our faith journey. When we meet Jesus and the story of the temptation in the wilderness, he is in a place of complete vulnerability. A 30-year-old carpenter's son who has just been baptized by John in the Jordan and has heard the voice of God proclaiming, you are my beloved son. And he needs to figure out what that means. The Spirit of God drives him out into the wilderness where he finds himself alone and hungry and tired for 40 days. God sends him there so that Jesus can go through the soul-searching needed to get ready for his mission and to consider what it means to be the Son of God. The literary device of the devil is not only a symbol of evil, but a way to express the doubts and the questions that must go through Jesus' mind. As he struggles with his physical need, as he considers what, he, what God is calling him to do. Experiencing your humanity in its fullness, experiencing our humanity in its fullness, Jesus' wilderness time includes physical and emotional and spiritual struggle. Each temptation invites Jesus to turn his back on God in a different way. Each time, Jesus' choice of trusting in God's provision teaches him something that will help him in his earthly ministry. Jesus is hungry, but he won't turn the desert stones into bread for himself. Later, he will feed 5,000 people with a couple of fish and a few loaves of bread. He won't take advantage of his relationship to God to prove his power. Just three years later, when Jesus could use his power to avoid the cross or simply run away from it, he doesn't. He refuses to seek political leadership over the kingdoms of the world, yet he offers the kingdom of heaven to all who follow him. The wilderness experience of Jesus prepares him for a ministry that embraces the sick and the hungry, the oppressed, and any in need, because he has been there. Unlike Adam and Eve, Jesus is able to withstand the temptation because his identity is based on his relationship with God. Knowing he belongs to God gives him strength and purpose and clarity. The only way for you and I to have a meaningful, growing relationship with God is to acknowledge our dependence, to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and honest, to strive more and more to put our trust in God. St. Augustine once talked about how God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are just too full to receive them. I might add that we are too busy covering ourselves in figurative fig leaves, uncomfortable of being ourselves with God, because whether we are aware of it or not, we are afraid of God getting a little too close. As we move through these weeks of Lent, try letting go of your need to control every aspect of your life and the things around you.
like a trapeze artist who is one of the flyers, just let go and know in the depths of your soul that the God who loves you will catch you. Jesus taught us about a love that is greater than anything we could ever do to defy it. More amazing than anything we could ever hope for, more complete than anything we think is missing in our lives. What would happen if we risked being more open and vulnerable, if we learned to trust by opening our hearts to God and to each other? Might this world start looking a little more like a garden where God's children rejoice because they know they are loved and precious and free? Amen.